Okay, so this book of Revelation is a book that most believers, according to some polls, most believers want to go through. And the reason why is because they don't understand it. And it's the book that most preachers don't want to go through because they don't understand it either. So as, as we're walking through this, know this, we're walking through this together. We're walking through this together because I'm learning lots of things about this book of Revelation, which is actually a letter. And when we go through this, I want you to open up your eyes, your spiritual eyes and your ears to receive it like a letter that was written to you. It's a letter written to you. It's a letter written to me. It's not just a letter. And in fact, we, we started last week about, uh, to the seven churches. It's a letter to the seven churches. But guess what? Those actual church buildings don't exist anymore. And so he's really writing those letters to the church. And if you missed last week's sermon, you can go to lakepointonline.com and listen to last week's message. But we're going to read a lot of scripture uh, here today. We're going we're to settle in on chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. If you have your copy of God's Word, we encourage you to go to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And we're also going uh, to uh, start off with one passage in Isaiah chapter 6. And so if you want to just kind of uh, put your uh, thumb there on the Isaiah chapter 6 and then, of course, Revelation 4 and 5. If you don't have that, no problem. We have the, uh, the uh, version app or also we have it on the screen here behind me, the uh, passage. So it, it, while we're studying this book of Revelation, just know that this is a letter written to you. You don't need to read this letter as if you're reading someone else's mail or someone else's text. Like if you were able to get someone else's text messages and get their phone and start going through their text messages, that would be crossing the line, right? Well, we kind of experienced that this past week with, uh, with, uh, with one of our kids sort of crossing the line. Because Suzanne and I, as most of you know, we love to send each other nice text messages. Most of them are just, hey, who's going to pick up the kids, that sort of thing. But sometimes we like to send messages, at least I do, that it's like a little bit, you know, uh, parent uh, rated kind of PG-13 kind of stuff. And so sometimes I'll send a text message that, that is like, hey, this is only for Suzanne. And there are some, as I've shared before, in the marriage series that Suzanne would have to delete. <laughs> All right? So it just means a strong marriage. You know what I'm saying? It's a strong marriage. I think the more deleted messages, the stronger the marriage. That's what I think. <laughs> but it was really interesting. While I was in my office... And I'm texting Suzanne, and she's texting me back, and she's at home. All of a sudden, we get this message from me that says this. It says, hey, Mom, love you, Logan. So we're both sitting there, and we both just stop texting. And we're like, whoa, what's up with this? And so I'm looking, and I can text from my computer. I'm looking at my computer, and I see that someone from my phone, obviously Logan, and my phone's right beside me. And, and Suzanne then says uh, something like this. She says, why are you texting from dad's phone? Are you okay? So at this point, I'm not okay. Because I'm thinking, okay, if Logan can access our text messages, then he can access other conversations on our text messages. So I'm just like, how in the world? So I just kind of play it chill. I was like, hey, Logan, I love you too. By the way, remind me to look at your computer when I get home at your computer settings because evidently he was at school 
And, and he can get our, my text messages, and he can type from his computer right uh, there at school from this school, and he could go ahead and, and t- get into that message and type in. So, so as an example, that's a perfect example of sort of crossing the line into someone else's text messages. But let me tell you something. That is not the way you should approach Revelation. You should not re- approach Revelation like, oh, this, this isn't really for me. This isn't for me. Half the stuff I don't even understand. Like Logan, maybe half the stuff he may not understand, right? But <laughs> hopefully not. So, but, but when, you, when you approach Revelation, what you want to do is you want to approach it like this is for me. You're not crossing the line by going and reading this amazing letter. And that's what it is. It is a letter. And so um, week one, we talked about the seven churches and how um, they can relate to you and me and how uh, some of us could be lukewarm. Maybe some of us have lost our first love. Maybe we're walking with Christ strongly, but we're getting a lot of persecution. We're getting ridiculed by others. And, um, and so there's hope and, and there's also correction in each one of those churches, the letters to the churches that's found in, in uh, chapters two and three. Well, this week, we're going to talk about the throne of God. We're going to go into the throne of God in, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And so I want to turn real quickly before we go to Revelation to Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 4. Now, the reason why we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6 is that Isaiah was a prophet about 450 or so years before Revelation. Okay? So Isaiah... And Ezekiel, who is another prophet, sees something very similar. But Isaiah, prophet, sees the throne of God. And I want you to see some of the similarities between what Isaiah sees 450 years earlier and then what John sees in Revelation. So in uh, chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says, In the king, year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs which are angels, each with their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and with two they were calling, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts of the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So he sees this amazing vision of the throne of God in its majestic and beautiful state, And there's nothing really on this earth that can really compare to this. I mean, we could read that and sort of imagine what could could this look like. Well, the closest thing we have is obviously, you know, here on the earth. I mean, obviously, you could probably look at some pictures of outer space and see the majesty and the splendor of, of, of who God is. But God, the creator of this world, who created this earth, we can look at some of the similarities, maybe, of his throne by looking at a few pictures here, um, here on this earth. So I've, I've picked out about seven uh, scenes from this earth that we can look at. And so uh, some of these are from um, places you might have recognized. The first few are from Glacier National Park in Montana. Would love to go ahead and see that. So, I mean, that right there is pretty awesome. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to be there right now? Yep, that'd be awesome. Good, good stuff. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, see, see that majestic mountain and that sort of that sea of Sea of water, or almost looks like a sea of glass, shimmering the the uh, reflection in the mountain. Let's go to the next slide. 
Look at that. And it's just amazing, the, the majestic, the, the power of that. Let's go to the next slide. And look at this one. I mean, look, look how tall and majestic those mountains are, that, that lake down at the bottom. And um, it's amazing. Next slide. Man, I mean, some of these, I just, I just want to be there. And I think one more. Yeah, so, so imagine the throne of God, this high as a mountain, majestic, beautiful, and imagine that um, it is, it, before the throne of God is, is a sea of, of, of glass. It's just sea, and it is majestic and powerful. And so I would think that maybe God put a little bit of idea of his throne into creation, into some of the pictures that we just saw. In some of these pictures, maybe God put a little bit of his creation, of, of, of his throne into creation. Well, my throne kind of looks like this. I may put a little bit of similarities here on this earth. And so that is about the closest thing we could get. And so I want you to now that you kind of have that visual in your mind, we're going to go ahead and, and, and read here in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which is the whole chapter. So 11, chapter, 11 verses here. And so this is what happens uh, after Jesus gives John the letters to the seven churches. He says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said. Now, that's John talking. Now, this is Jesus. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. Verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a, a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the thrones came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. So imagine just seven huge um, uh, campfires, you know, just, just blazing. There, there were se- they were the seven spirits of God. Verse 6. Also in front of the throne, there was, one look, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. You can catch that similarities with Isaiah. And were covering all eyes around them, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Very similar to what Isaiah saw. Who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's put up that last slide up there, if you would. Last slide on the, on the, uh, on the uh, mountains. So imagine this high and mighty throne and this sea of glass 
and you have all around this huge throne of this mountain, 24 other thrones or 24 elders. And they're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're looking at this because this is about as closest thing we can find. And, this, and God created the throne and God created this. Man didn't touch us. This is all God. So this scene that began in chapter 4 continues, whereas the chapter 4 can be stated as God on his throne, the theme of, cha- of this chapter, 5, may be called, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. So let's dive into chapter 5. We just have 14 verses, and then I'm going to apply it to our lives. So chapter 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, those seven seals are important. We're going to get to that starting next week. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who is worthy? Now, those seals represented what was going to take place in the future, those seven seals. Now, understand this. John is at a place where he is, he is on a deserted island for sharing the gospel. He's the only disciple left. All the other disciples ha- have been martyred. They're all dead. He's the only one left, and he's on this island, and the church is being persecuted across, uh, around the known world, and he is wondering what is going to happen next. I could use some hope. I mean, John was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. He needs hope in his life. And so he's wondering, where is the hope? And you notice on the scroll what it says it was written on both sides. We don't know what was written on the outside of the scroll. We don't know what was written on the outside of the scroll, but something must have, must have caused John to wonder what was on the inside. Maybe, maybe hypothetically, we can say uh, maybe he had, you know, the, the future of the church, you know, or, or what's going to happen next. Or, or whatever was written there. But whatever was written there, John, it made John wonder what was on the inside. Verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I, John, wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. He needed hope. He was desperate for hope. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion and the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed Jesus. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So he describes Jesus as the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, who has triumphed. And you're thinking you're going to walk out and all of a sudden is going to be either this warrior or this huge lion. He's going to come out and he's going to rip that scroll open and all is going to be great. But no, what do we see? We see this, verse 6. Then I saw a lamb. A lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. If you remember, John the Baptist, when Jesus was coming after he spent 40 days in the desert, 
being tempted by Satan and overcoming that. As he was coming to be baptized, John the Baptist looked and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Verse seven, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. We're going to get more of that in Revelation. And verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10. You have made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked up and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let me say that again. Worthy, who was, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive what? Power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, that, let's put up that last slide, that picture one more time. That is sort of a, a visual, a picture of God on his throne, surrounded by 24 other thrones, 24 other elders, glassy, thousands and thousands of people gathered around to worship the lamb who was slain. Now get that visual in your head. And then there may be a question I want to present to you and a question some of you may have even asked. What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Why is it important that there's a lamb who's conquered, Jesus Christ, who conquered sin, hell, death, and the grave? Why is it important that, that God is on his throne? Okay, I understand God is on his throne. That's great, but that's in heaven. I'm here on earth. And so why is that important to me? I'm glad you asked. Because John, who saw the vision, John, who, who was all alone in the middle of turmoil in the early church, desperately needed words of hope for his life and for the future. So Jesus is the only one who could open the scroll. He is the one, the only one who can present hope in John's life and the church and in your life and my life. Jesus can open the scroll. So what does this mean today? How does this passage fit in with your crazy life? 
How does this passage answer your struggles, your past? Does this passage understand your frustrations with relationships, pressures, financial worries? You may be asking, what does this have to do with me? The answer is everything. Everything. You see, while you're struggling with this life on earth, God is on his throne. God Almighty is the one in charge. Not some politician, good Lord. Not your boss. Not your landlord. Not your creditor. Not your medical diagnosis. Not your bank account. Not your employment status. Not even yourself. None of those things are on the throne, but God is the only one on his throne. Does that make you excited? Yes. Well, show me. Yes. Guys, God, in the midst of those things in this life, God is on his throne. Isn't it good to know that he is on his throne and he is in charge? If you don't feel like God is on his throne... Which, hey, there are times, there are times in my life, every week, there's a day that goes by that I'm like, oh my gosh, the world's falling apart. You know? I mean, it, things are falling through the cracks. It's like I've got so much to do and so many pressures and everything. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't really see God on his throne. I'm just being honest with you. When, when, when those things happen in life, in my life, frustrations or struggles it's hard to see God on his throne. Do you ever get like that? Do you ever get like to the point to where it's hard to see God on his throne? So if you don't feel like God is on his throne, then it means that you and I, that we placed something there instead. Something else in your life has taken over the throne. Who or what is the question you need to ask? Because if you're walking in fear, worry, doubt, frustration, then you can't see the throne of God. It's hard to see God on his throne. When you're walking in fear, worry, doubt, frustration, whatever it is, it's difficult to see God on his throne. Now, this does not make you a bad person when this happens. I shared with you just a minute ago, just this week, very recently, I, I couldn't, there were days this past week, I couldn't see God on his throne. Why? I placed other things there. I placed worry. I placed doubt. I placed frustration on the throne of God, and I couldn't see it. And it was hidden in my heart, in my faith. And does that make me a bad person? No. This makes me a human, a sinner on this lot, in this, walking in this world, trying to see the throne of God. Remember, John had the same issues. John was crying out loud because she couldn't see what was in the scrolls because no one could open the, the, the scroll. No one could break the seven seals because he was worried. He had doubt. And so on this island all alone, Jesus said, I'm going to open your eyes and you're going to see the throne of God. So John couldn't see that 
as well. He was a last lone survivor. Others were killed. It was like, it was like at the end of the, of the latest Star Wars movie in part seven where we find Luke Skywalker Walker on a deserted planet and the last lone Jedi. John was the only one left. And he walked in, in, in fear and worry to God opened his eyes. Jesus opened his eyes to the throne room of God. Y'all, we can all put things on the throne of God. We can all put things in front of the throne of God to shield us from the one who is on the throne. But we've got to understand this. No, no doubt, no worry, no frustration is big enough to take God off his throne. Nothing is too big to take God off his throne. Imagine if you, if you could just die for a few minutes. I know that's a weird thing to think about. But like, let's just say if you were to die for just like, like 20 minutes, okay? Maybe even 20 seconds is all it takes. But if you could die and go to the throne of God, maybe not see the face of God, but you could see everything else, you could see heaven, and you could be, oh my gosh, it's like, it's for real, you know, it's like he's there, he's on his throne. And then, he, then you know, defibrillator comes and, you know, clear, you're all back and, and you're in this life. And you walk in this life and you go, who cares? Who cares about what's going on? Who cares about the worries? Who cares about the frustrations? Who cares about, the, about, uh, about people who are coming against me? Who cares about the thoughts in my head? Because you know what? I cannot place those things before the throne of God because God is on his throne. How does this passage deal with you and me today? We walk in this life and we put things there in front of God's throne. There was a, um, there's a popular and powerful worship song that describes the throne of God. The writer of this song called Revelation Song is Jenny Riddle. Jenny lives in McKinney, Texas, where I served on, on church staff as a worship pastor. Jenny, who lived there in McKinney, was able to, uh, she was part of a songwriting group, and I was kind of involved in that. And so Jenny came over to the church one afternoon, and she was helping me to finish this song or to look at the song that I was writing for my grandfather's funeral. So I wrote this song for my grandfather's funeral, who, who was, a, who was a, a, a patriarch in my life, a pillar of faith in my life. So uh, she kind of helped me tweak out some things, and, and, and I remember she was sitting at the piano, and I was, we were going through some chords and stuff on this song, but I remember she was sitting down at the piano, and she was telling me about how she came up with this song, Revelation Song. She says, I remember I was in, I w it was in the laundry room, and, and I was ironing clothes, and things in my life were just... I had lots of pressures, I had lots of doubts, I had lots of frustrations going on in my life, and there were things in my life that were, that were blocking out the throne of God, the, the blocking out the fact that God was on his throne. And she tells me, as she was ironing her clothes, tears were falling down on her newly ironed clothes as she was just crying out to the Lord, Lord, what should I do? And then all of a sudden, she started singing, this phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. She started singing this song 
And she started going to the throne room of God and she just laid down her iron. She fell down on her knees. And God would just say, look, I'm on the throne. Let me, let me tell you what the throne is like. So she opened up God's word to this chapter we're on right now. She opened up this chapter and she began to write these words and describe the throne of God. And she says, ever since then, God has been on the throne. I don't let other things in my life get in the way of God on his throne. Let me ask you a question. Are you sitting here today with other things in the way of God's throne? Is there financial issues? Is there a creditor? Is there a person in your life? Is there relationship issues? Is there, is there some unforgiveness in your heart? Is there a health issue, diagnosis? Is there other frustrations, stress, work stress? People are just on your back all the time and you can't see the throne of God. That is Satan's job because let me tell you something. Satan has seen the throne of God. He's been there. And he doesn't want you to know what it's like. So his job is to put everything possible in front of that throne. And so here's what I want us to do. The band is going to sing that song I just talked about, Revelation song. And in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to stand, we're going to worship. But let me tell you something. The altar is open. Feel free to come down here to the front and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, just please remove these things in my life that are guiding me or that are, that are blocking out the throne of God. Or, or just let me move them to the side. I mean, I know that life's not going to be perfect. There's going to be struggles, yes, but let me move them to the side because they're not as important as you on your throne, God Almighty. So maybe there's some things you haven't moved yet. It's time to move those things away from the throne of God. And it's time for God to show you his throne.